This morning, week three, we're going to title this morning's message, Buckle Up, because it's called When Darkness Falls. What the heck kind of a title is that? Where's this dude going? Um, can we be real this morning? Do, do you guys give I got one person who's down to be real. Can we be real this morning? Can, can I like, can I call some things what they are this morning and uh, take the mask off that we can often come into church with and just go for it? Is that okay? Can we be real? Give me a thumbs up if you're good to go for it. Okay, and you're good to be real. Thank you. That's great. So if you are on this bus of realness this morning, then go with me to Psalm 88. And I want to encourage you. As we read this, we're going to begin by reading this psalm, and we're going to pray, uh, and we're going to have a moment of silence as we always do. But uh, I want to encourage you, as we prepare our hearts for uh, maybe a bit of a heavy message this morning, I mean, with when darkness falls, how can you not, you know, kind of be heavy with that? But we're, uh, we're going to look at some really, really good stuff. But I want to encourage you, as we look at Psalm 88, put yourself in the shoes of the psalmist. And you'll often find that when you read the Psalms as if you are the psalmist and seek to resonate with their current season of life, then you'll find that the Psalms open up and have this rich and robust and profound meaning for your current season of life. So uh, let's go to Psalm 88. Here's what it says. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 7 says, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. Think about that. Mm, put that on your wall. Verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, the entirety of my being, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pause and take a moment of silence as we always do and allow the Lord to have the first word this morning. So let's sit in stillness and have a moment of reflection and space for the Lord to take his place this morning. Lord, we pause this morning, and we go to a place that's deeper than words. 
we go to a place where all we can do is look upon the one who has paid the ultimate price for us. Remembering that you're with us. Remembering that you're for us. And as we go to your word this morning, Lord of life, we ask that you would teach us. And the Holy Spirit, you would be the teacher here. The Holy Spirit, you would take your words and you would illuminate them to us. And God, there is a myriad of soul and situation presented here this morning. Seasons of life, times and facets of our lives where things have just gone sideways. When that which was once beautiful has now gone to dust and we're left looking around and we're broken. And for those this morning, I pray that you would give them a drink of water in the wilderness. I pray that you would lift their souls. I pray that this would be a morning where they walk away and know that you are for them. And I ask that regardless of what season, situation, wherever our souls and our minds are at this morning, whether anxious or whether light, God, whether burdened or whether free, we praise you and we look to you, O God. And we ask that you would teach us and guide us according to your truth and perfect righteousness. And we commit ourselves to doing everything that we hear this morning. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. But we give this time and this space and the, even the darkest parts of our hearts. Would you saturate us? Come, Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Um, so where is God when darkness falls in our lives? What are we to do when the bottom falls out of life? What are we to do when things go sideways? What are we to do when all hell breaks loose and something that was once good and a season that was once rich and a part of our lives that once felt like it was healthy and vibrant and glowing and alive now is desolate? How do we view God in those seasons? What do we do? Where do we go when the darkness falls in our lives? Uh, Last week, we went to the Psalms of Orientation. And as the prolific scholar, Old Testament scholar, especially in the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann calls it the Psalms of Orientation. Those Psalms that focus on the goodness of life. Those Psalms where the psalmist is bright and alive and energetic and youthful and thankful for all the abundant provision God has given him or her. But it's always a him who's writing the Psalms. And they're coming before God, and they're just saying, thank you. Life is working as it should be. Those are the Psalms of orientation, and those are the feel-good Psalms. And the Psalms we like to read, and the Psalms we like to put on our wall, and the Psalms we like to post on Twitter and all that stuff. But there are also Psalms that are dark, and there are also Psalms that are dingy and that are dank, if I may say that word. Some of you hate that word, but I'm going to say it anyway. Those psalms that that are grave, the psalms that speak of brokenness, the psalms that speak of turmoil, the psalms that speak of life not as it should be, but as it were laying in desolation and absolute poverty and brokenness. These are what Walter Brueggemann, again, will be using his verbiage throughout this series. This is what he calls the psalms of orientation or disorientation, excuse me. And in the the Psalms of disorientation, we see the psalmist look out across their life and things are not as they should be. 
where the Psalms of orientation offer consonants in their life, where things are just flowing, they're good, they're with the Lord, things are good. Things are flowing and aligned with new creation life. Well, the Psalms of disorientation, there is dissonance everywhere. And the psalmist is in absolute turmoil of soul and of situation. And uh, they're left asking the question, God, where are you? Am I the only person in the room who's asked that question? Or can some of you relate? Where, again, the bottom falls out of life, where your soul is plagued with fear and with doubt, and you're overwhelmed and you're anxious, and this relationship went down the tubes, and your bank account is low, and you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet. You get a note passed to you in seventh grade that says two words, it's over. Oh, destruction, decimation. These are the Psalms that this, uh, the, the disorientation documents. In Psalm 88, what we just read is one, one of the many Psalms of disorientation where we're forced to tread on the cracked ground of life. We're forced to tread on the ground in the terrain of life that is broken, that is desolate, um, that is full and infested with pain and suffering and questions and wrestlings. And it's the place where comfy first world Western theology of abundance doesn't hold up. And it's the place where the, it's repulsive to our expectations of what a good life should be. It's the place where seemingly well-intended words of encouragement are exposed for what they are, shallow oversimplifications to complex questions and complex issues. These are the place uh, that the Psalms of disorientation paint for us and narrate for us, but also in one way, the, the, a, a place in which they beckon us to and invite us into and say, come partake of the way in which the Lord may be at work in this situation and in this soul. And so in allowing ourselves to read these Psalms of disorientation openly and honestly, because we like to avoid these, don't we? Like I said, these are not going to be the psalms that are going to be up on your wall or you write to your spouse on the bedroom mirror. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Dot, 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 dot. Or, you know, you post a selfie on Instagram and you're like, man, the Lord is just so far from me. This is a Psalm 88. This is great. Life is good. They're the psalms that we won't often quote and we won't often like to identify with. And we kind of like to sweep under the rug because what the heck do we do with that in a new covenantal framework of theology? Um, but we see that as we openly and honestly come to the psalms of disorientation and when we allow ourselves to look at what they have to say and we allow ourselves to even go to the dark portions of our soul and say, I resonate with that. And I feel that, and I kind of want to hide it, and I want to run away from it, and I don't want to take it to God, and there's no way in hell that I'm going to take it to my friends, but there's something about this that's resonating. There's something about this this is translating, and there's something that is disoriented in my life. Well, in allowing ourselves to read these openly and honestly, we find a massive truth at work in the Psalms of disorientation, and it's this, that when darkness and disorientation fall, the greatest suffering we often face is the feeling that we've been abandoned by God. This is what the psalmist in Psalm 88 is getting at. 
It's the feeling that, okay, suffering, yes, pain, yes, turmoil, yes. But in our human condition, the Psalms of disorientation paint it so clearly that we can so uh, identify and so align the suffering with the absence. We can so often look at that physical sickness that our loved one is carrying or that sickness that's plaguing our bodies, cancer, pneumonia, even a common cold, whatever it is, that, that sickness. We can look at that relationship that's self-destructing and imploding. We can look at this loneliness of soul that we feel. God, is there anyone on this earth that can hear me? Is there anyone on this earth I can talk to? Can't I just open up about my struggles? And it's these where the, the, the cracked and barren terrain of life is exposed for what it is, a, a land of destruction, a land of waste. And we so often associate the suffering with the absence. And in our fallen human condition, we can't help but feel like if life has hit the fan and gone sideways, then God, you must not be here. God, where are you? That's what the psalmist is getting at. And it's this very, very real question that I think we all wrestle with if we're honest. God, where are you? Darkness, disorientation, in the fog of life. Lord, you were once here. Where are you? And the greatest suffering that we often feel is the proposition and the possibility and the potential situation that this God who was once near and this God who was once warm and this God who was once uh, attentive to our needs has now become distant, cold, and unresponsive. These are the feelings of the psalmist. These are the feelings that we all feel in these psalms of disorientation, these seasons of disorientation. And the feelings of suffering really pale in comparison to the possibility that we've been divinely forsaken and that we're left on our own. Psalm 88, why, my God, have you forsaken me? These feelings um, of, of disorientation also translate to Psalm 22. Uh, the psalmist David is saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. God, where are you? Lord, this relationship's broken. God, I don't know if I can live another day. I don't know if I can take another step. I don't know if I can overcome this addiction or this anxiety or this bondage. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Are we good to keep being real? You guys with me? Because if you're anything like me, and if your story is anything like mine, then you have seen uh, some pretty awful things in life. And uh, some of you come from broken families. My family was a broken family. At 13, I saw uh, disgusting and horrific affairs break into my family and absolutely tear it in two. And I'm left as a 13-year-old, having just moved to Colorado Springs. God, where are you? What's happening? The thing I found comfort and security and stability in is now torn away from me. Where are you, God? Um, many of you have friends who have um, or are currently struggling with cancer, or have even died from it. I've had friends that have had it three times. God, where are you in that? And we're praying the prayer of faith, and we're anointing them with oil. And again, it's the comfy first world theology that says, all you need to do is just have faith, and you will have dot, dot, dot. And it's the Psalms of disorientation where we're faced with this dissonance of, I'm having faith. Okay, but I'm trying. Okay, but I'm giving everything I possibly know to give and nothing is working. God, where are you? 
It's these turmoil seasons. It's these seasons that rip us from the inside out, that cause us to feel divinely abandoned. These seasons where we're left seemingly to our own destruction and we're looking around and we're trying to put the pieces of life together and we're just questioning, God, why have you forsaken me? I know I've asked that question. And these feelings are feelings that even the very followers of Jesus had. Interestingly enough, the people who were closest to Jesus, the people who had seen Jesus and walked with Jesus and uh, conversed with Jesus and seen Jesus operate in signs and wonders, they even experienced seasons of disorientation. They walked roads where they were left questioning, wait, God, where are you? Because in Luke 23, Um, we see this turn of events that the disciples had never expected. They had followed Jesus. They had walked with him. They had uh, asked him questions. They had seen him do amazing things. Love incarnate and love embodied was walking with them. And they looked at him and in Luke 23, they see that um, this person that they'd walked with, this love, this, this man who they thought would come and would redeem the world and who would truly be the Messiah and whom all their hopes and their dreams for a better life and whom the restoration of Israel was found and whom all of their desires lay, he was brutally murdered in front of them. And they were forced to, to watch him walk beaten and bloody and marred and disgusting in appearance, as Isaiah says. All of their hopes and dreams for what God might have been up to among his people and for God to keep his promises in Israel were destroyed in his crucifixion. And they're dashed. And the disciples are left looking at Jesus, their friend, the Messiah, so they thought. And he's on the cross and he's bleeding out and they're experiencing this horrific moment where their dreams are absolutely shattered. Luke 23, Jesus dies and they're left looking around God, what are you doing? Why have you forsaken? Jesus himself just said, why, my God, have you forsaken me? What are you, where are you, God? And they're left destroyed, and they're left broken, and they're left desolate. Um, But as they're in this season of disorientation, and as they're picking up the pieces, and as they're trying to figure out life now, there's a turn in the narrative, and there's a twist in the story, and there's a way that God reorders the way in which their lives had looked, and this turn and this twist in the plot comes in Luke 24, verses 13. It says this, that same day, Two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talking questions, check this out, Jesus came up and walked along with them. In the disorientation of their life, in the aftermath of their broken souls, as they're looking around and asking the question that Jesus prayed himself on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They find that Jesus was in fact walking on the road with them. Friends, this is our hope in the seasons of disorientation. This is our hope when our souls are marred and when our situations are broken because friends, our Lord of life walks the road of suffering with us. 
Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, walks with us. And though we feel this feeling of divine abandonment, and though our seasons of life do not sometimes measure up and align with the proposition that God is in fact with us, we can know and walk confidently that our Lord of life journeys with us on the Emmaus Road. And in that very terrain where our narrative has twisted and where disorientation and darkness have fallen, and where we're struggling with a sickness, or we're struggling with doubt, or we're struggling with an addiction, or whatever, is happening either on the outside or the inside, we can know that our Lord of life has and currently walks the road of sorrow and suffering with us. And that we have not been left to our own destruction. We haven't been left to figure out life on our own, but our God is with us in this sorrow and in these seasons of disorientation. And it's this revelation that allows David, you know, David, King David, the same one that wrote Psalm 22 that we just looked at, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, it's this revelation that allows him to pray the prayer in faith of Psalm 139, where he says this, check this out. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. And check this out. This is the God who's always with us. The God who formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. David at one point in disorientation and in decimation is looking around and he's asking, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a real and it's a raw prayer that we don't like, but we all can relate to it. God, where are you? And yet this revelation, this idea that, wait a minute, the Lord is in fact journeying with us. The Lord is on pilgrimage with us. And we don't walk alone, but the Lord journeys with us on the Emmaus Road. And even though our eyes may not see him, uh, we can stand confident that the Lord Jesus is walking the road with us. And so we can say, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? The reality is that, yeah, destructive soul, destructive situation. But where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go here, you're there. If I go here, you're there. If this relationship falls through, if my bank account looks like this, if this sickness is in my body, this, but you're with me. And this God who we see in Psalm 149 who fashioned us, This God that we see who wove us together and knit us in our mother's womb. This God who saw every single day before one of them came to pass is the one who has not left us to our own destruction and disorientation. But he's with us. He's journeying with us. Walking the road of Emmaus. He is on journey with you and he's the great high priest who is very much able to sympathize with our weakness. And he knows we're broken and he knows we're fallen and we know, he knows we're frail and he knows that life is not as it should be in these seasons and yet he is the very one who walks with us. And we see that the good shepherd in Psalm 23, many of us know it, quoted it in Sunday school, 
maybe have it on our bathroom mirror. I don't know. I'm going to keep alluding to that. Just let me, okay? But the good shepherd, all right, in Psalm 23, who David says what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He what? Leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters and restores our soul is actually the very same good shepherd who even in the valley of the shadow of death, we we don't fear. Why? Because he's with us. You see, disorientation and decimation and all of these backwards things that we may be experiencing in life do not speak to the absence of God. But in fact, the Lord, could it be that he's working in this? Could it be that in the destruction and in the decimation of soul and in the pain and in the sorrow and in the suffering, God is in fact revealing himself anew as the one who walks with us in the desert? And yes, as we walk and as we journey, that may not change the situation. And that may not even make you feel good really right out of the gate. But the more we understand that the Lord who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters and leads us into those seasons of orientation is the same God who walks with us in the disorientation, then our souls are anchored and our souls can stand secure knowing, okay, Lord, you're with me. Okay, I got this addiction, but you're with me. Okay, my friend it has stage four cancer, but you're with me. Okay, yeah, things are just hitting the fan in life, but you are with me and my soul will be satisfied in your presence. And again, it, it may sound like a cute little answer, Pat. Okay, great. Yeah, that doesn't answer the question of suffering and I'm not trying to answer it, but what I am saying is that just like the disciples, when we're walking this road of desolation and when we're walking this road where life, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we look up and we see Jesus on the road with us. Our soul can be comforted and there can be some consolation in that. And then we can join the psalmist in praying the prayer of Psalm 16, 10 to 11 in faith. That you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, you won't abandon me. Okay, okay. Circumstances disoriented, soul disoriented, soul marred, soul scarred, but you will not abandon me. You're on this journey with me. And so the invitation this morning, and this may be a reminder to some of you, and I'm well aware of that, but the invitation still is to look up. If you're in a season of disorientation this morning and things are just backwards in life and you're struggling and things are just off, look up and see the one who journeys with you. Look up and see the one who walks the road with you. Look up and see Jesus on the Emmaus road. And if you look up, you won't just see Jesus, but you'll actually see brothers and sisters, friends and family, mothers, fathers of the faith. You'll see the church walking with you. And though we can so often isolate and silo our souls in seasons of uh, desolation and disorientation, if we look up and see, wait, there are people There is the Lord of life in front of me, the Lord of life behind me, the Lord of life around me. But there is the church, my people, my my, my brothers, my sisters. If you can just look up and have the strength to look up, then you'll find that you are not walking this journey alone. 
and you'll find that you are in fact walking with the Lord who knits you together in your mother's womb and you're walking with the people who are on this journey with you who may in fact be equally uh, destroyed of soul and scarred of soul but we're here and we're walking and this morning you know I framed this message knowing full well that there are a number of us who are in this horrific and hellish season of disorientation. And I'm well aware of that. Uh, Some of you are struggling with sickness. Some of you are struggling with a broken uh, relationship. Maybe with your parents, you're going through something right now. Some of you may have just had a terrible breakup and you feel like, man, I shouldn't be as wrecked as I am, but I am. God, here you go. And so, you know, this may be a reminder to some, but for those of you who are on it, I want to take this time, and instead of going straight to discussions, actually, we're going to cut discussions altogether, I want to make this into sacred space. I want to make this into holy ground where we can pray for one another and where we can come together and we can rally together around each other because the Lord is on the road with us, but we are on the road and journeying with each other. And so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to take the next five, ten minutes, and I want us to get in huddles of two or three, okay? And I know this is different, but roll with it, okay? Um, we're going to get in huddles of two and three. It can be at your tables. It can, you can find a spot over on the sides of the room, whatever. But I want us to position ourselves and just open up with a couple people and say, what are, talk about the areas where you're just struggling, where things maybe aren't as they should be, where you're, you're wrestling, there's doubt, there's fear, there's confusion, there's heartache. And let's just take some time and pray for each other. How's that sound? Let's be the church. Let's be the body of Christ, okay? So we're going to just turn on a little bit of the Soak playlist. And I know this is different, but some of you need this, okay? So let's be the church. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's be people who rally together with one another. And I want you to find two or three people. And that's not a hard and fast number, but that's the ideal, okay? Find them. um, Just spend the next few minutes sharing about life and where you're at right now. And let's just pray for one another uh, for the remainder of our time, all right? Much love, guys. And the Lord be with us as we pray and share. All right. Let's just pray all together. Um, I feel like that was so helpful and so healthy for some of you. And maybe that was the first time you've ever actually opened up in a church setting. Um, And I want to make more space for this. So if you guys feel like, man, my table, my group is just clicking. Um, We're going to start tearing down. But grab some of these couches, huddle up somewhere. Just don't rush. Because there's some soul work that's happening right now under the surface. But let's, uh, let's just pray together and then we'll dismiss uh, quietly as people are still wrapping up in prayer. Father, you are our guidance. You are our wisdom. You are our gift. You are the prize. You are the satisfier of our soul. You are the aligner um, to your good purposes. You are the Father who loves for and cares for us. And though we may wrestle with disorientation and we may wrestle with trial and we may wrestle with suffering and we not, may not even be able to offer answers to all of those seasons of our lives. We know that you are walking with us, Lord Jesus. We know that you're on the road with us and you haven't left our souls, but that you are journeying with us. And would you make our souls open and awake to that reality that we have the childlike faith to know, no, Abba's here father's here he's with me he's for me and i pray that in that there would be grace upon grace upon grace i pray that there would be life and stability and anchors of hope and faith and peace 
So people of God this week, whether oriented or disoriented, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. I pray that he would make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I pray that he would lift his uh, bright and shining countenance upon you and give you peace in every situation and in every state of your soul. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of life, amen. Amen.